Well, good morning, City Light Lincoln Church. Uh, my name is Austin. I'm one of the pastors here, and uh, it's beginning to look a lot like Christmas. All the trees around. No, that's not the right. Dang it, I always mess up the lines. My wife always makes fun of me because I try and like sing the songs. I know the first, but I don't always know the ending, and so she just always laughs at me. So thank you guys for laughing at me, too. Feel good. I feel loved. I feel like you care about your pastor. Cool. Hey, uh, but uh, speaking of Christmas and Christmas songs, uh, this morning uh, we're in our Advent series, and uh, uh, this is super, super exciting. Love this season, not just because we get trees and lights, but because we get to celebrate again and again and just remember uh, Jesus is coming. And so there are four parts to Advent, hope, uh, peace, love, and joy. Now, Advent simply means coming, right, or arrival, and so that's what we're doing is that we're in Advent in, as a church. We're looking forward to celebrating Jesus' birthday. Like, that's how we're getting up to it, and we're going to study those four things to remember what he brings and who he is and what he does. And so um, this morning, we get to talk about hope. Um, we get to talk about hope. So I'm really, really excited. Every year, uh, growing up, my parents... Uh, would have me make a list of, um, of everything I wanted for Christmas, right? Your parents might have done the same thing. I don't know. But um, growing up, I would do that. So I'd, I'd kind of sit down and brainstorm everything I wanted. And they would give that list to my grandparents and my aunts and uncles. And that was kind of the thing, right? And so I'd brainstorm. I'd sit down. I'd think through, all right, uh, what do I want? Man, I... Yeah, I'd really like an Xbox, like the original Xbox, okay? I really would want that. Oh, I really wanted uh, Game Boy Color. I wanted um, uh, buckle jeans. Holla at your boy, right? I wanted to look fresh. And then Cologne made the list my freshman year because I wanted to start smelling good, not like BO anymore. So I was like, okay, I want some Cologne. Give me some deodorant, like the good kind, uh, <laughs> antiperspirant and deodorant. Anyways, so I'm like I'm making this list, right? I'm making all these things that I wanted. And, um, and I kid you not, I promise... At the top of that list, every single year, was a pygmy goat. Now, you guys might be like, wait, what's a pygmy goat? Have you seen videos of these things? They're incredible. Like, they're the cutest, most joyful things. There's a video. You can look it up later. Not in church. Later. And, uh, and there's this little pygmy goat. And his na- it, pygmy goats are miniature goats. So they're, like, really, really small. And they're crazy. And so there's this one. Uh, his name's Butterscotch. And he's just jumping off his brothers and sisters. It's hilarious. So uh, you got to watch it. I've seen it many times. Uh, and so go and look at it. And so every year, I'm like, Mom, Dad, get me a pygmy goat. That's all I want. And Top of the list. They said, that's my grandparents. My grandparents are like, who is this kid you've been raising? He is not right. Something's different. Something's not right. And so, anyways, but I kept asking for it, and I, I just really, I really hoped that I would get a pygmy goat. And so uh, we go through, and uh, one year, uh, we open our presents, and I didn't get a pygmy goat, and I'm kind of disappointed, like every year. And uh, so my dad goes downstairs, though, and he, he goes downstairs, and he comes back up, and he's got this big box. I'm like, is that my pygmy goat? Like, is that my goat? I think that's my goat. And so I'm like super pumped about this thing. And so I'm excited. I'm looking forward to it. And, uh, and sure enough, I opened that up and I was sadly disappointed that it was an Xbox. Now, most, of, most everyone in the world would be like, Xbox, they're awesome. I was like, yeah, I know. I loved it. But I really hoped to get a pygmy goat, right? And so I did it. A few years later, and the closest thing I ever had to own in a pygmy goat was a couple years ago when I was uh, at a petting zoo and I debated on stealing one. All right. No, don't judge me. All right. I'm working through some things in my childhood. Okay. I'm working through it. You guys got to love me in the midst of that. But I want to ask, have you, ever, have you ever hoped for something and ended up not getting it? Right. Like I think all of us 
have something. Maybe yours isn't as crazy as a pygmy goat, but maybe it is. I don't know. Maybe there's some other pygmy goat fans out there. But anyways, I'm sure we have. Or have you hoped for something really, really bad, and then you finally got it, and it wasn't really everything you wanted? Well, I think this morning is going to be amazing because Peter's going to teach us about hope. And so you can open up your Bibles to 1 Peter 1, chapter 1. We'll be walking through verses 3 through 5. 1 Peter 1, chapter 1. We're walking through verses 3 through 5. So before, uh, before we jump into our text, I, I want to help define hope, right? Because we use it, we throw it out there. It's kind of in our common language, but, but what is hope? And so I have three distinctives for us. Three distinct things about hope, okay? Number one, hope is future-oriented, okay? Hope is future-oriented. So you, you never hope for something you already have, right? Like, um, Mo doesn't hope that he gets an Apple Watch because he's got it and he wear, wears it, right? Hashtag, he's got it made. But anyways, uh, he doesn't hope for Apple Watch, he's got it. I don't hope that I get married because I already have a beautiful wife, right? So if you hope in something or for something, it's always future-oriented. It's not something you currently have. Two, uh, hope is, is a confident assurance, okay? So it's different than what we naturally connotate with hope. So it's, we, we kind of hope, like, I hope it's a sunny day, or I hope it snows, but it doesn't get ice, and I hope it snows, but somehow it's still warm enough to, like, go around and walk around. I don't know, but we hope, like, I hope the Huskers win the national championship next year. That's a big hope, but nonetheless, it's a hope. And see, this is different. This, this kind of hope is a good wishing or, like, a wanting. And, and let me assure you, there's nothing wrong with that kind of hope. It's just different than the hope we're talking about this morning, okay? I would define biblical hope as a certain assurance of what will happen. Biblical hope is a certain assurance of what will happen. Now, I'm hoping for the day my daughter's born because my wife is pregnant, right? Like, that's a biblical kind of certain assurance hope because her due date's January 13th. Like, it's on the calendar. I know it's gonna happen. And so uh, it it would be another kind of hope if I just said, I hope we have, I can't wait to have my baby girl. Like, I hope we have a girl and my wife's not even pregnant, right? Right? So that's the difference between the hopes. Hope is a confident assurance of what will happen. Okay, tracking with me? Three, we are all hopers. Three, we are all hopers. It's a human necessity to hope. All of us need to hope for something. M.L. Bruner writes this, hope is to the meaning of life what oxygen is to the lungs. Hope is to the meaning of life what oxygen is to the lungs. So if you take away hope from someone, you take away the essence of their life. Now, God designed us to be hopers, to look forward and anticipate something good and infinitely amazing and eternal so we can never run out of hope because God, his love never runs out. Amen? Like that's, that's we're all hopers and he's designed us to hope in him. So to recap, hope is future-oriented, Hope is a certain assurance or confident assurance, and we are all hopers. Great. Now let's jump into our text. We'll be verses three through five first. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. 
Okay, so the book of 1 Peter is a letter written by Peter. And you can see in verse 1 that Peter's addressing this letter to elect exiles in the dispersion. So in this time, Christians are being persecuted heavily. And and what's happening is that people have came in, so they've been dispersed. They've been scattered throughout. And so they're all around, and they're on the run. They're sharing the gospel, and simultaneously, they're being persecuted for it. Now, one of Peter's purposes in writing this letter was to assure the Christians that they have a living hope. Okay, so they're in Uh, They're in horrible circumstances, right? Like people are dying, they're on the run, they're away from family, and and Peter's writing this to encourage them. They have a living hope. Don't be discouraged. And so Peter uh, is writing this letter, and Peter's one of Jesus' closest disciples. He's always by Jesus' side. Peter's the guy that denied Jesus three times when he was going on trial. And Peter's also the guy that God used in Acts 2 um, to preach to thousands of people. And a bunch of them um, accepted Jesus and became knew Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. And so Peter's this kind of dynamic figure that God is using. And so if you were in Peter's shoes, if you had his pen to write this letter, what would you write to these people? Like, I know that my natural tendency is to kind of alleviate the tension and say, man, it's going to get better. Like, just, just, just it's going to get better or, or keep pressing on, man. It's, there's only so far that they can push. Like, they're going to stop eventually, right? So what would you write? See, but Peter never alleviated the tension. He doesn't say it's going to get better or just keep pressing on. They'll stop eventually. I mean, look at verse 3. It says, he caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So think about these people's circumstances. Like, they probably had loved ones or friends die. Um, They've seen death firsthand. Death is encompassing them. It's surrounding them. But Peter says that they have a living hope. Don't you think that that would trigger something in their minds? Like, they're seeing death, 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 and Peter's saying something about living hope. And so this isn't just a nice little saying that we put on a t-shirt and kind of sport around. No, this is real living hope. And Peter says it comes through the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. So the most hopeless, dark moment in our history is when the Son of God, Jesus, breathes his last breath on the cross. Like there's nothing more hopeless and dark than the one person that could save us dying. But... We know that's not the end of the story, right? Like three days later, and Jesus rises from the grave, proving that he is victorious over sin and death and Satan. Oh, death, where is your sting? Oh, hell, where is your victory? And in Revelation 1.8, Jesus says, I died. And behold, I am alive forevermore. And I have, I have the keys to death in Hades. Jesus is victorious. And Peter's encouraging these exiles that Jesus proves that death can't extinguish our hope. It's living and eternal, and death can't put it out. Death can't take it away. Our hope is secure. Amen? Amen. But there are two ways that we can lose our hope if it's not in Jesus. Okay, two ways that we can lose our hope if it's not in Jesus. Number one, um, we can lose our hope when we lose that which we are hoping in. Okay, we can lose our hope when we lose that which we were hoping in. So, for instance, Moe's dream to play in the NBA 
Hey, sorry, bro. They ain't looking for 31-year-old pastors in Lincoln, Nebraska. <laughs> you ain't you weren't on their scouting team, okay? They're not coming here looking for you. You're playing in our court. It's not full size, bro. You might be hitting threes, but they're not threes. <laughs> okay, so sorry to let you know, but it's not, it's not gonna work out. I'm sorry to crush your dreams, but right, like he lost his hope because there's no more hope for him to be in the NBA. <laughs> Something miraculous. I don't know, Jesus could do anything, but I don't think so. <laughs> right? My my hope. For a late growth spurt, it's gone. I don't have any hope. I got too old. I'm like, dang, God's like, Austin, you're only gonna shrink from here, bro. Like, I'm like, so I'm not happy with that, but my hope is gone. Like, I hoped in that, and it passed. It passed. And so, one way you can lose your hope, one way you can lose your hope is losing that which you were hoping in, okay? Two, we can lose our hope by getting what we hoped in and realizing it didn't deliver what it promised. Does that make sense? We can lose our hope by, by finally getting what we hoped in and then realize it doesn't deliver on what it promised. Okay? So um, marriage, for instance. I know there's a lot of single people in the room. All the single ladies. All the single ladies. And, but hey, there's, uh, there's people in the room, right, that are single. And so, uh, and guys too, and we're thinking through, oh, I can't wait till I get married. Who am I going to marry? They can be tall. They can be strong. I bet he's going to make a lot of money, right? You're thinking through all these things, right? And you're excited and you're going through but then you get married, and marriage is great, trust me, let me tell you that. But then three months in, you have your first fight, and you're like, dang, like, there's hair all over the shower all the time, and I, like, everywhere? I don't, how did, how does she not bald right now? Just hairs everywhere? I don't know. And then, like, and then the girls, you're thinking, this guy, like, stinks sometimes. Like, he just doesn't smell good, and he never cleans up his dishes. And what am I supposed to do? And he leaves his shoes on the kitchen floor, and I just don't like it. And so, anyways, right, we realized we were so excited for marriage, and we get married, and we're like, this isn't as good as I thought. I mean, it's good, but it's hard, right? There's some challenges that come with marriage. And so you get what you hope for in marriage, and you realize it's not perfect. It's not everything I hoped in. Or it could be kids, right? You get kids and you're like, they just poop all the time. I would say poop. I mean, like, you know, there's this and then they just eat and I have no money anymore and I can't go on dates every night. Like, it's just hard, right? And then you could do it with a job. Like, I get the job and I get the corner office, but really my job is still hard. Tom Brady is a perfect example. Tom Brady is the quarterback of the New England Patriots, and he's got more Super Bowl rings. But, but uh, a few years ago, he was doing an interview, and at the time, he had three Super Bowl rings. He's known as the, be- I mean, as the best quarterback that's ever lived. And so he, he's got three Super Bowl rings. He's got a 10, no, 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 a $60 million contract, a supermodel wife. And in an interview, he says this, how do I have three Super Bowl rings and still think that there's something greater out there for me. Like, it's got to be more than this. And the reporter asks him, well, what's the answer? And he says, I wish I knew. <laughs> Isn't that heartbreaking? He reached the pinnacle, the peak of, every, of the American dream. He's got more money than we could ever want. He's got a beautiful wife. He's got fame. Everyone knows him. He's the best in his sport. And he still says, there's a hole in my heart that I don't know. What is it to fill? Well, it's because his hope is in the world, and that will never satisfy you. Amen? Jesus is the only one that can satisfy. So I, it took everything. I just want to scream at the computer like, it's Jesus. That's the answer, man. That's the one thing that can actually satisfy you, because you get three Super Bowl rings and you want four. You get 60 million and you want 70. Like, it's a never-ending pursuit. See, but that's how worldly hope is different than hope in Jesus. Any hope in this world can fail you or disappear in a second. But hope in Jesus never fails 
It can't be lost. And in verse 4, Peter says this hope is an inheritance. Okay, This hope that we have, this living hope, it's an inheritance. Now, an inheritance is a blessing that transfers to an heir, usually after the death of a parent. Okay, So this could be money, it could be a house, or any other possessions. And so if someone in your family died, depending on your relationship to that person, you could get some of their possessions. So in this case, Peter says that our living hope is an inheritance, meaning that Jesus died... And because simple faith in him, we receive every blessing that was his. And we get this inheritance by relationship, not effort. Translation, you didn't earn it. You got what he earned for you. Right? That, that's how inheritance works. And so it's this beautiful gospel reality that it's given to you because of your affiliation and relationship with Jesus, not your effort towards him. And listen to these words that Peter uses to describe this inheritance. Imperishable undefiled, unfading, and kept in heaven for you. So uh, here are four ways that Peter describes this inheritance. We'll kind of walk through. One, imperishable, meaning that it doesn't have an eat-by date, right? Our inheritance doesn't have an expiration date. Let's be honest. There's no worse feeling in the world than it's about... 11 p.m. hits the clock. You're still a little bit hungry, so you kind of scurry over to the kitchen. You open up the cupboard. You look. You grab some chips ahoy there. You like that little blue bag. So you grab it. You, you grab your cup, and then you grab your gallon of milk. You sit down on the, on the kitchen, kitchen table. You're like, oh, this is going to be good. You pour your milk, only to see that it's expired, and you don't <laughs> So right, I've never wanted to grab a, a gallon of milk and chuck it against the wall as hard as I did a couple weeks ago. Like, I was done. I was done. I'm like, Kristen, where my milk at, girl? It's expired, right? I'm like so just distraught and hurt by that moment. And so anyways, but, but that's, not how, that's not how Jesus' grace works. That's not how this inheritance works works. It doesn't fade. It doesn't get old. It doesn't expire. <laughs> I grow my milk at. But, uh, <laughs> another way, <laughs> another way to think about this is Jesus isn't 2% milk that lasts for a week. No, he's almond milk that's going to last forever, right? <laughs> Hashtag gospel hook. Drop it. I about dropped this mic, but I would get in trouble, so I'm not going to drop it. (laughs) Number two, our inheritance is undefiled. Our inheritance is undefiled, meaning that it's free from stain or blemish. It's holy. It's untainted, right? Um, There are no holes in this hope. And so if you put your hope in being the best basketball player, well, it's got a, the hole in it is that there's always going to be someone better. If you put your hope in, in having the nicest house, well, there's always someone that's going to have nicer countertops or a bigger pantry or a nicer backyard or a nicer view, right? If you put your hope in having the best job, well, there's always going to be a job out there that pays more, has better benefits, and longer vacation. The hole in any other hope is that it can be tainted, but our hope, there is no hole in it, right? There is no, it's completely holy. Number three, our inheritance is unfading, okay, meaning that it's ageless. It never loses its quality or its beauty. So my mom, she loves gardening, and um, she's got this plant in her yard, and it's called a night-blooming cereus, okay? Night-blooming cereus, and this flower only blooms once a year for one night. 
okay, once a year for one night. And people that have this plan, they're like so excited and they anticipate, they wait the entire year up to this one moment to see this, um, this plant blossom for this one night. And trust me, it's beautiful. I've seen it. You can, again, look it up later. But after a few hours, it fades and it wilts. It's like, like this beauty, it's just gone in a second, but our eternal hope isn't like that, right? Like it's even more beautiful and it lasts forever. It doesn't fade. It's perfect. It stays as beautiful as it is. And so it's better than a night blooming Sirius. And lastly, our inheritance is kept in heaven. Our inheritance is kept in heaven. It's like a safety deposit box. So it's guarded and preserved. It's a gift that's already been bought that we can anticipate. So God is in heaven as we speak with an inheritance for you that he's protecting and guarding. It's a gift that he's excited to give you. Like think about a gift that you, that you got for a loved one and you put a lot of like time and effort and thought to it and you're just so excited to give it to them. Well, God in the same way is excited to give you this inheritance. He's in heaven, he's guarded, he's protected it, and he's ready to give it to you. God's excited for that day you get to heaven and get to be with him. And trust me, it's not like Jimmy Kimmel's, I gave my kids a terrible present, right? Like, it, like we'll get this present, and it's amazing. It far exceeds our expectations or our hopes. We will not be disappointed. The best and most beautiful gift we could ever be given, eternal relationship with God in the absence of sin and death. And let me encourage you with verse 5. Who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. This secure hope in Jesus is not secure because we think it's imperishable and undefiled and unfading and kept in heaven. It's secure because it's God's power that's keeping it for us. It's God's power that keeps our hope pure. So if you feel like your hope is lost, let me assure you, if you've placed your faith in Jesus... Your hope in God is eternally protected by God himself. That's amazing news. This is the gospel that you did nothing to earn your salvation. Therefore, you did nothing to earn your hope. Therefore, you can do nothing to lose it. It's secure. Amen? Now, let's look at verses 6 through 7. In this you rejoice, though now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials. So that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes, though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So I quickly, I quickly want to just explain the difference between faith and hope. We kind of use those interchangeably. And so though they are um, inseparable, I believe, they are distinct from one another. So Hebrews 11.1 1 says that faith is the assurance of things hoped for. So he uses hope to help define faith. Faith is a trust based on past realities. Okay, Faith is a trust based on past realities. So we have faith in God because he has proven himself faithful and good, right? And if you have faith in the Nebraska um, Cornhusker volleyball team, well, it's because they've proven themselves to be the best, right? Like, that's how faith works. We see, so it's a, um, it's a trust based on past realities. But hope is a confidence of future realities that will happen, right? It's a confident assurance of what will happen. So it's a, it's a confidence of future realities, okay? So faith is past realities affecting your present day 
where hope is future realities affecting your present day. Do you get that distinction? Faith, past, working toward present. Hope, future, working towards present. And your faith is only as strong as what you have your hope in. So for the people in Peter's time, uh, they're being grieved by various trials, right? Their faith is being tested, and it uses the imagery of a goldsmith um, refining the gold to see what's fool's gold and what's actually gold. Now, the goal is to purify it, right? And so when you make something out of gold, what you do is you heat it up really, really, really hot, and everything that's not gold or that's impure, it kind of just floats to the top. And so what the goldsmith would do was he'd just wipe it off the top. All of the, all of the fool's gold or whatever, would, he would just wipe off of the top. It's believed that the goldsmith knew that it was pure when he could see his reflection in it. See, do you see the relation? God is refining us until he can see his reflection in us. So he's wiping away all of our impure hopes so that our only hope is in him. You get that? It's beautiful that he's doing that to us, that he would rip away by that heat all of our impure hopes just to give us one hope, and it's in him. So look at verse 7. Peter writes, So that the tested genuineness of your faith more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. So get this. Peter isn't just pointing their faith to God's past faithfulness. He's pointing them to God's future faithfulness. So Jesus will come again. Like, and through all of your testing, it's worth it. On that day, your trials will be worth it. They will result in praise and glory and honor as you fix your eyes on Jesus. And friends, while, it may be, uh, while we may not be able to rejoice as we look around in our trials, we will be able to rejoice as we look ahead in our hope. Amen? While we cannot rejoice as we look around at at, at our trials, we can rejoice as we look ahead to see our hope. So faith needs hope. Your hope is only, I'm sorry, your faith is only as strong as what you have your hope in. In our hope, we've said it's eternal, it's imperishable, it's undefiled, it's unfading, and it's kept in heaven. So trials are the litmus test of if it will stand. And if your hope is not in Christ, the fire fire will burn you, not purify you. So the point of our hope being tested is not to disprove it, but to prove that it's true. It's evidence that it's real, and it's a gift for our hope to be tested because we can come out affirmed. I mean, when all else fails, when every other hope, when there's no option for you to grab at any other worldly hope, where do you grab? Where do you look to? Jesus. God is the only, like that's, That's the only place to look. And in Romans 8.18, Paul writes, For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Friends, it's a gift for our hope to be tested. And I know it's hard, but when trials come and we're hard-pressed, our secure hope will bring us through. It's hard now, but at the end of this life, we get Jesus forever. So let our faith be in our eternal hope. We fix our eyes there. Third point, verses 8 through 9. Though you have not seen him, 
You love him, though you do not now see him. You believe in him and rejoice with joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. My third point is that we have an unseen hope. So every Christmas season, uh, my family kind of has a tradition to watch older Christmas movies, right? One of my favorite, this isn't very old, but one of my favorite ones is Elf with Will Ferrell. You know, you can holler out. It's a good, it's a good movie. But then one of my other ones is, uh, my other favorites is The Santa Claus with Tim Allen. You guys seen that? Raise your hand if you've seen that movie. Okay. Wow. We're a, we're a seasoned group. We got, we can, we've watched that. Okay, good. Well, um, Part of the plot is that Tim Allen thinks he's dreaming because he gets magically transported to the North Pole, right? He just kind of counts it off. He's, he's gaining weight, and he's got a big beard, and he just writes it off saying, oh, this is just a dream. And there's this beautiful scene where Judy the elf comes up, and she says, you're missing the point. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. Hashtag drop the mic. Hashtag mind blown. Right? She's dropping gospel bombs on it. Like, so it, this reality that, that Judy the Elf just dropped it right there. She just preached. We're preaching a little bit. See, but isn't this the opposite of how we think and how we operate? We say, I'll believe in everything you can prove to me. Like, you put it on a fact sheet, and that's what I'll believe. I want to see it. Give me evidence. Give me proof. I'll put my hope in what I can actually see and what makes sense. And friends, I don't know about you, but as I look around, to all the tragedies of life and everything that's going around, if my hope is in what I can see, I will be sadly disappointed. But with a firm future hope, my eyes don't tell my heart what to see. My heart tells my eyes what to look for. What I can see no longer dictates what I look for. Amen? See, that? that's the difference. Seeing isn't believing. Believing is seeing. And in John 20, Jesus has appeared to several people after resurrecting. Uh, but one of the, his disciples, Thomas, doesn't believe him. And he says, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of his nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And then eight days later, Jesus shows up and says, hey, Tom, what's up, bro? You say you don't believe? Check out my hands. Check out my, check out my side, right? And, and he's like, I believe in you. Like, Lord, I believe in you. And Jesus says in John 20, verse 29, well, have you ever or have you believed because you've seen me? Blessed are those who have not seen and it have believed. Isn't that beautiful? Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. This is the same language that Peter uses in verse 8. Though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with a joy that's inexpressible and filled with glory. So for the Christian, our hope is unseen. No one in this room has ever seen Jesus, but we love him, right? No one in the room has ever seen Jesus, but we believe in him. Why? Because we have a secure and tested hope. Have you ever watched uh, a movie with kids? They, like, experience it so much. Like, it's so real to them. One of my, I have a little brother and sister, and back in the day, our favorite movie to watch was Finding Nemo, okay? Now, we'd watch this movie, we'd love it, and they'd be on each side of me, you know, we'd be kicking back. And there's this part, if you, if you know some of it, there's this part where uh, Dory, which is a fish that uh, Nemo's dad She's with Nemo's dad helping him to find Nemo, okay? Kind of confusing. But she's got short-term memory loss, right? So she always forgets, and she's saying, 
P32 Walby Way, whatever, I don't know. But anyway, so she's doing, she's like trying to memorize this stuff. And they're going through this uh, jellyfish, this like field of jellyfish. And all of them are coming. And she's bouncing on the top. And it's this really joyful scene. But then she gets stung. And then again, and then she becomes unconscious. And so Marlon, Nemo's dad, makes it out, but realizes she's not there. So he goes back in, grabs her. And I remember in this time, my little brother, they kind of like snuggled in close, like they're real scared, you know? I'm like, hey. And so they're going through, and and this is the first time we ever seen it. Well, I had seen it before, but they hadn't seen it yet. And so... um, uh, Marlon grabs Dory, and they're running out, and they're going, they're trying to make it, and all these jellyfish are stinging Marlon, and it kind of just, like, stops there. And there's this scene where you, you have this deep breath. You're like, did they make it out? Like, are they alive? And I look down at my little brother. He's got a little tear in his eye. I'm like, buddy, man, I've seen the ending, and everything will be okay. I've seen the ending, and everything will be fine. He looks, and he's like, really? Yeah, buddy, I promise. And I know that sometimes all our eyes can see is trials and hardships and tragedy. But God is confidently pulling us near, saying, child, I've seen the ending, and I promise everything's going to be fine. That's where our hope is, in the promise of our heavenly Father And in verse 9, Peter writes, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Now, obtaining here doesn't mean earning, right? Because we've said it's inheritance, which we get because we've just had faith in Jesus. That's how we get it. So it's not an earning, it's a gift. But we are hoping in that last day when we receive salvation for our souls. And so when talking about Jesus coming back and making everything right, Jesus' storybook Bible so eloquently puts it, he will make everything sad become untrue. Everything sad will become untrue. Isn't that beautiful? Simple and wonderful. And so in Revelation 21, it's the end outcome of Jesus coming back and making all things right. And in verse 4, John writes, he will wipe away every tear from our eyes. Death shall be no more, neither shall there be mourning, nor crying, nor pain anymore. For the former things have passed away. Isn't that amazing? My hope, my ultimate hope is in that last day when everything sad becomes untrue. And if you fast forward your story to the ending, I promise it's amazing. And I know that we don't see it now, but I promise it's coming. So my hope will keep me until that day when everything sad becomes untrue. Our hope is unseen, but I promise you it's going to be good. And we'll finish up in verses 10 through 12. Concerning this salvation, the prophets who prophesied about the grace that was to be yours searched and inquired carefully, inquiring what person or time the spirit of Christ in them was indicating when he predicted the sufferings of Christ and the subsequent glories. It was revealed to them that they were serving not themselves but you. And the things that have now been announced to you through those who preach the good news to you by the Holy Spirit sent from heaven, things into which angels long to look. I recently heard a story of a hospital chaplain, and uh, he's, he goes to visit a family where the dad has cancer, and, he, and it's, he's terminally ill. It'll, um, t- it, was, it was too far. And, uh, and so he comes in, and he says, hey, man, can I pray for you guys? And they explain, well, we're Jewish, um, but yeah, I guess we'll accept your prayers. 
And so he spends time with this Jewish family, and he's encouraging them. And, and finally, what um, uh, the, the daughter, she's a teenager, and she says, will you teach me about Jesus? Like, I, I want to know about Jesus. I, you talk about him and the way you pray to him. I just want to know about him. And he says, okay, I'll tell you about Jesus, but I only want to use the scripture that we agree on, which for a Jewish person and a Christian would be the Old Testament. And she was kind of dumbfounded. She said, what do, you, what do you mean? Like, I thought Jesus was only talked about in the New Testament. And he showed her over 300 promises in the Old Testament of a Savior coming. And she was blown away by it. It just seemed so real to her. And it just seemed so, whoa, I didn't know that. that this is what points to Jesus. It, it all makes sense now. And so she brought it back to her family. And her entire family accepted Jesus. Isn't that amazing? They realized that he was the Messiah that they had longed for and waited for. And he was the one that fulfilled promises like Genesis 3 and Isaiah 9 and Isaiah 53 and Daniel 7 and Zechariah 14 and Micah 5. He fulfilled all of those. He is the point of the entire Bible. Jesus is what we look to, right? He's what we expect and what we anticipate. The Bible drips with hope and promises of a Savior coming. And so I just want to read a few verses to you guys from the Old Testament, a few passages, and I want you guys just to tell me, who do you think this sounds like? Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, a virgin shall conceive and bear a son and call his name Emmanuel, God with us. It's Isaiah seven fourteen. For to us a child is born... To us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulders, and his name shall be Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. It's Isaiah 9, 6. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. Upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace, and with his wounds we are healed. Isaiah 53, 5. Behold, the clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man, and he came to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all peoples and nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away. His kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. That's Daniel 7, 13 through 14. But you, O Bethlehem, who are too little... You, O Bethlehem, who are too little to be among the clans of Judah, from you shall come forth from me, one who is a ruler over Israel, whose coming forth is from of old, from ancient of days. That's Micah 5, 2. Do you see it? Jesus is the point of the entire Bible. And in John 5, 39, Jesus says, you search the scriptures because you think in them you have eternal life, but it is they that bear witness about me. Jesus is the point of the entire Bible. He's the promised hope. In 1 Peter 1, 10 through 12, it's saying that Old Testament prophets knew Jesus was going to come. And in verse 11, it says that they predicted the sufferings of Christ and his subsequent glories. So we have seen and remember Jesus' first coming as a baby and dying as a savior. But when Jesus died 2,000 years ago, that wasn't the end of God's story, right? The book doesn't end until Jesus comes back again. Our faith is in the finished work of Jesus on the cross, but our hope is in the reality that he will come back to set all things right. Amen? So City Light... If you've trusted in Jesus, you have a hope that is secure. 
a hope that's tested, a hope that is um, forever, uh, forever kept for you, a hope that's unseen and that's promised from the beginning of time. This hope will not disappoint. And so here are some just personal reasons why my hope is in Jesus. I have hope that my security, that our secure, or that our eternity is secure. I have hope that one day all that is evil will be undone. I have hope that one day we will be healed. I have hope that even though we are broken, we are loved right now. I have hope that God can use us today and in the future. And I have hope that Jesus rose from the grave and can raise up to be with him. Death is not the end. There is reason to hope and rejoice in something that's secure and won't fade away. So I want to ask, what, what do you hope in? Where is your hope? Is it in a pygmy goat like me? Or is it in an NBA career like Mo? Like, don't have small hopes like your pastors used to have, okay? <laughs> because Jesus is better than a pygmy goat, all right? It's hard to say, but it's true, okay? But really, where is your hope? Is it secure or can you lose it? Will you have to work the rest of your life and maybe possibly get it? Or will you receive it because it's inheritance that comes by faith? All other hopes will fail and fall to the wayside. Only hope in Jesus will satisfy a hoping soul and find true joy and confidence. Amen?